Today's reading is taken from the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name of Bad-Shazar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lixie. Um, we're starting our new series um, in Daniel, uh, Living in a Foreign World. 
Uh, but as we come to this, uh, why don't we pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you that you've sent your son Jesus and that you have made us your own. And we pray that we will become your people, that we will be your people, we will shine your light uh, in this fallen world. And we pray that you will give us wisdom to know how to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever thought this, but it really is impossible, impossible to live a sinless life in this world, isn't it? It's not just that our hearts are inclined towards evil, though they are. The sinful world makes it impossible for us to live a pure life. I mean, just think back to what happened this, this past week. We've seen sort of racism written into the structures of this world. Um, sins are written into the structures of this world. I mean, we in Hong Kong love shrimps, but how do we know that you know, lots of shrimp uh, that we eat come from places where people are basically slaves? Or how about our electronics um, or, or clothes? Uh, do, do we know that they're made by people? With, uh, in safe working conditions and fair wages? Probably not. And this world encourages us to sin as well. There are posters everywhere um, that tempt us, advertisements that make us selfish and greedy, and structures in the society that incline, incline us to idolize things that are not God's. The point is, it's really stay pure in this sinful and fallen world. The Amish had a solution. If you know who Amish are, Amish are Christians in the Anabaptist tradition who escaped the sinful world and made their whole sort of alternative society. They have removed themselves from the world to be a light as a society together. Is that the solution? That we remove ourselves and live separately as a church together? If you have ever, ever asked these questions, we have a lot to learn from Daniel. Look at how the chapter starts. Judah, Yahweh, Yahweh, God's country, is given over to the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar then forcibly removes people from Israel to live in Babylon. He took the best and the brightest, especially the young, to re-educate them in their own culture and language so the second generation wouldn't rebel against them. And these raise the question, the same questions that we're asking. Will Daniel and his friends, what will they do? How will they stay pure in Babylon, in a fallen and pagan world? Will they adopt uh, to the customs and language and the culture around them? Or how will they stand out? You might think the answer is obvious. He, of course, resists. And you picked it up in verse 8. There, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. But before we get to that, I would like you to see that that is not the only thing that he does. This may surprise you, but this chapter lays out how Daniel, in fact, adapts to the new country and makes his home in Babylon. He fits in. He becomes, in a way, a Babylonian. He doesn't live in perpetual protest against the sinful world in which he finds himself. It's actually quite the opposite. Think about all the ways that he adjusts to his new home. Daniel and his friends had great Hebrew names, uh, which, had, uh, which is related to the God of Israel. So, for example, Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah, Yahweh, has been gracious. Mishael, who is, who is what God is? Azariah, Yahweh has helped. 
But then they all, in verse 7, receive Babylonian names. They take in a new identity. They're given these names and they go by them, don't they? And some of these names actually have the names of Babylonian gods in them, like Daniel's name, Belteshazzar. That Bel, that, the name Bel is a, is a, is a Babylonian god. It means, um, it means uh, Bel is guard of my life. Abednego means servant of Nabu. They all undergo Babylonian education as well, verse, uh, uh, verse 5. If you know anything about Babylonian literature, it's mostly story of, story, myths, uh, stories of Babylonian gods like Marduk and how he created the world and things like that. It's like uh, becoming an expert in astrology as a Christian or something that is not Christian at all. They undergo this intense education for three years without complaining. They take on very secular jobs as well. In fact, they, effect, they effectively become civil servants and politicians in the Babylonian court. They become close advisors to the Babylonian king. We often uh, question the wisdom of Christians entering politics, don't we? Because we think, well, surely they will have to compromise their faith if they go into politics. But they seem to not have had such reservations. And the ministry that they went into was thoroughly pagan. Look at verse 20. Look at who their peers are, verse 20. The magicians and enchanters are their peers. That word enchanter could be translated as conjurer or necromancer, somebody who brings up the dead and communicates with the dead. This is thoroughly forbidden. Daniel, in fact, becomes the head of the the magi, the wise men, in chapter 2. It's surprising, isn't it? To, to, to the extent that Daniel becomes a Babylonian, how he, he and his friends adapt to the culture and language of the pagan world. Their first thoughts warned maybe about how to escape, how to, but they, they adopt, they engage, they go into the society. In fact, they were only obeying something that actually was commanded for them to do. Jeremiah, prophet Jeremiah, As he watched the first batch of exiles going into Babylon, he gave this instruction. He says to them, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have have sons and daughters, and seek the peace and prosperity of the city to, uh, to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I hope you caught all that. Build your houses there. Settle down. Marry. Seek peace and prosperity of the city. Pray for it because if the city prospers, you too will prosper. That was the mind of the exiles. That was what Jeremiah wanted them to do. And friends, whether you are born in Hong Kong or you have arrived like Niels yesterday or in this past week, it's true that all of us Christians here are not quite at home in Hong Kong. We're not Hong Kong citizens in that way. We are, as Peter writes, aliens and exiles, aliens and foreigners here in Hong Kong. We will not always fit in completely to this city. Nowhere in the world is our permanent home, not as it is right now. But, as Stanley Harwas says, he says, we are resident aliens. We are foreigners who are committed to being here in this city and in this world. We are people who live here, who make our homes here, marry here, pray for the city, seeking prosperity and peace of the city. We are here 
for the long haul. Until the day of Jesus comes, we are not to treat this world as a sinking ship to to, to do away with. We are to become its residents, bringing peace, prosperity, God's blessing to this city as we make our homes and contribute to every aspect of life in Hong Kong. So like Daniel, I think this means that we have to get on with our jobs. This job, we take it as a calling to go in. Yes, you are there to share the gospel, as we've uh, uh, I've heard in this past uh, sermon series. But you're also there to seek peace and prosperity of the city, to contribute to it through your work. If you're a student, learn everything people teach you. Not so that you'll be transformed by them, but so that you can shed gospel light to them, to know and see where it's at odds and how you can contribute to it. As Daniel went into some of the most pagan part of the Babylonian service, civil service, I think Christians ought to go into all parts, engage with all aspects of Hong Kong life as well. I think as Christians, we think some subjects and some jobs are taboo. Don't we? We, uh, once again, ask, uh, question the wisdom of Christians who go into politics. I think here in Hong Kong, there's a good uh, finance industry or fashion industry, um, uh, entertainment industry. But if we take Daniel's example, what we ought to be doing is taking our best people, best Christians, and sending them to all aspects, all areas of, this, uh, of, of Hong Kong life. To be a witness there. In the famous uh, words of uh, a Dutch theologian, Abram Kuyper's words, he says, There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, Mine. The entertainment industry, the fashion industry, the finance industry, the whatever, the, the, it's Christ's. And as Christians who have made our homes there, we need to go in. We need to shine the gospel light there by engaging the world, not, to, uh, not, from, uh, not by retreating from it. Make your homes in Hong Kong. Contribute to its peace, to its pri- prosperity. Pray for the city. Pray for your industry. Pray for these areas. For Christ wants you there. But of course, this doesn't mean taking on every aspect of Hong Kong culture and be transformed by it. We're called to be distinct. And this story is about how Daniel and his friends went into these places but remained distinct, remained uncompromised in their faith. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the king's food and wine. You know, I, mean, I, think, I think it's really interesting that he picks this aspect, right? Like with so many other issues, he adopts. But he chooses this one. Why does he choose this one to make his uh, uh, stand firm? Some suggest it's uh, something to do with the Jewish kosher law, but that doesn't explain why he refrains from eating and drinking wine. It might be that King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to sort of uh, curry their favor of these young, young people by giving them royal food and delicacies, maybe to say, actually, you're now mine. And maybe Daniel thought that he wanted to remind himself that his provision ultimately does not come from the king, but from God himself. However, he arrived at that conclusion. And whatever reason why he chose that issue as the issue to make his stance, his he, his motive is clear. 
He does not want to defile, defile himself. He is a resident of Babylonia, but he's resolved to remain a Jew, a person who is distinct from the culture. So he takes his stance and says, I will not adopt this. I will remain loyal to God. He is a resident alien. He is a foreigner living in that country. And we, too, live in that same tension, don't we? We live in Hong Kong but we're, and in this world, but we're not of Hong Kong. We're not of uh, this world. Our homes are here, but our, uh, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are to be distinct from others. This is our call. So it's worth asking once again, how distinct then are you? I think oftentimes maybe we have been too comfortable in our home, too comfortable in Hong Kong, taking too much of the culture within ourselves. How distinct are you as a Christian, as a citizen of the kingdom of God? Your colleagues and friends should know that you are Christian in your work already, but if they don't and they found out, would they go, what, is he a Christian? Or would they say, well, that makes sense. You know, of course, being different in this world is risky. When Daniel asks the chief of the eunuchs whether he could refrain from eating from the king's table, that was a risky move, right? He's saying, actually, I do not want part of this, even though king wants me to have it. It's a risky move. He could have said no. In fact, the chief of the eunuch actually says no. Verse 9, take a look. And so in verse 11, he goes to the steward of the eunuchs, uh, the steward that that is in charge of him, um, and asked him to test him for 10 days. And that was a risky move too, right? To go behind the chief of the eunuch's back, to go to his steward and say, could I still do this? That's a risky move. Not only is it risky, taking that sort of Christian stance is difficult. I mean, he refrained from eating meat. He refrained from drinking wine. He refrained from all those delicacies that the king was giving him. Not just for one day, but for many, many days. No meat, no wine. Surely that wasn't easy. It's not easy to remain faithful as Christians in this world. It's both risky and difficult. Who likes being the odd one out? Who likes being persecuted for our faith? But friends, we are foreigners and aliens in this world. Our primary identity is as Christian. And we cannot defile ourselves with the greed and lust and pride, selfishness, gossip and self-sufficiency or the other lies and sins that the world puts forth. But it does take enormous amount of wisdom to know where and how to make that stance, doesn't it? Which customs to adopt and which ones to shun. How to remain pure in this world is a matter of great wisdom. The matter of being in and still being distinct is not often black and white in this world. So I think we can learn a few things from Daniel. So as you make tough decisions in your school, in your workplaces, um, at homes, first, I think what we should do is question our motivations, why we're making that stance, why we're making this, that an issue in our life. It's interesting that I think uh, Daniel makes a choice in chapter 1. The choice that, the, the, the issue that he takes is actually, uh, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a public stance. It was more of a private stance, isn't he? Isn't it? He doesn't want to confront the king of Babylon straight away. He doesn't want to make a big splash across China, South China Morning Post. 
in his private devotion, he wants to separate himself. He wants to remain faithful to God. He, do, he does not want to defile himself. So ask yourself, when you want to make that stance, why is it, why is it that you want to make that stance? Why is, that, why is it that this issue is a big issue for you in your workplace? Is it really to honor Christ? Is it really to remain pure and undefiled? Or is there an element in us that wants to bring attention to our heroic stance, our heroic faith, and the sacrifice that we're making? What's the motivation? There are times, actually, you will be forced to make a public stance, and Daniel does so. Daniel has to make a public stance later on. But until that time comes, in all the little ways that you can, remain faithful in your daily life, in all the things that you do. Separate yourselves from the world in your private devotion. In fact, when Peter in the New Testament talks about being distinct, he says uh, that the main way we ought to stand out in this world is by our good works. After calling us aliens and exiles, he says, Live such good lives among pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Our good lives are the primary way that we ought to distinguish ourselves from other people. That they may, on the day when Jesus comes back, on on that day, they may see and glorify God for what we've done. More than whether we sort of make a public stance on I will work or I will not work on Sunday. I mean, sometimes actually you have to work on Sunday in Hong Kong, don't you? Whether you wear a cross in your, around your neck or not, more than that, our private devotion to Christ in all the little things that we do, that is important. That comes out in our transformed life. That should be the first thing that people notice about our faith. All that, all this isn't easy. Making our home here in this fallen and sinful world, being distinct in this world isn't easy. And we can only do this if we know that God reigns, if we trust in God's sovereignty over this city and over our lives. And it couldn't have been easy for Daniel. Think back once again to the context of when this is happening. Uncertainty and devastation is or, or, uh, characterize the time of Daniel. Verse 1, in the third year of reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. By the second verse, Jerusalem falls. Not only do they fall, look at what happens to the temple treasures. The vessels within the temple of God is removed. And Nebuchadnezzar puts it, and puts them into the, 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 the um, uh, place of his gods. The people in the city then are forcibly exiled. The best and the brightest of Israel are removed and are forced to serve the Babylonian court. This was a devastating times. This was an uncertain times for Israel. But the tone of this chapter, chapter 1, and for the rest of the book, is not devastation. It's not uncertainty. There's a quiet confidence in chapter 1 and indeed in the rest of the book. And it stems from the firm knowledge that Yahweh God is in control. Take a look how the story is told. Jerusalem doesn't fall. Nebuchadnezzar does not take the city. Verse 2, the Lord gave 
Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hands. The Lord's, Lord's hand is over this king, over Judah, over the articles. He is behind the scene directing it. Even this devastation was by God's design. Whenever God is mentioned in this chapter, God is doing things and directing things and making it go according to his purpose. Verse 9, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Yes, it was a risky move for Daniel to do this, but as he did that, God was in control. God gave that favor and compassion. Verse 17, God gave them learning and skill in literature and wisdom. It wasn't just that Daniel and his friends were bright. God gave them that, uh, that, that brightness. God gave them that wisdom. And God sustained them throughout this test, didn't he? When examined, they were found, found to be outstanding in appearance, wisdom and learning. In fact, ten times better than everybody else. And look at how, uh, how the chapter ends, last line of chapter 1. Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This was a completely uncertain time. King Cyrus is the king of Persia, which means that Babylonia fell, and it was given over to Persia. Even with the turbulence of that, that regime change, Daniel lasts throughout those years. God is in control. God is directing history. We've had a tough week this past week, the bombings and racial strife, financial market falling, but these are not outside of God's control. God is directing history. That's why Daniel could make his home. In Babylon, out of all the places, he called that home. That's why uh, Daniel could risk being different as he made his home there, be a home there because he knew that God was with him. He knew that God was in control. So, what about you? What about you? Hong Kong as a city is full of sin, as all cities are. But make your home here in Hong Kong. Be contributing residents here. Seek peace and prosperity of the city. Pray for it, trusting that God is over the city. God is in control over the city. Be distinct here, even if, if it means risking, even if it's difficult for you. Be distinct. Trust that God is in control over your life, over all the things that are happening in this city. We are called to be resident aliens. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks that you are God who is in control over history and over our lives and over this city. And we give ourselves over to you. We pray that we, would, uh, we wouldn't be afraid of engaging this world, thinking somehow it would taint us. And we pray that you would add to our faith, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would fill our minds and transform us uh, in that way that we might engage this world and not be tainted by it. And we pray that we would not uh, take on the culture of the city, but we would shine your bright light and as people who are distinct in all areas to which we have been called. We pray that as we give our lives over to you, as we trust in your sovereignty, we pray that you will shine your great light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.